Good morning, church. Good to see you all here today. It's always good to be in God's house. Uh, in this season of Thanksgiving, uh, you know, it hit a little different for me this year. I don't know what it was or when it was, but I noticed that at the uh, annual meeting last week, I had a great time just fellowshipping with one another, enjoying some good food, and just sharing what God is doing, what we uh, hope to see Him doing in the future. And it's just, I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. I looked around at faces, and I'm like, God, I'm so thankful for this church. It's a special, special church. I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm humbled to be a part of it for so long. But uh, just considering the gratitude in between what, what is about to be the Christmas season. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law, she's passed on, but her thing was it was not right to put up the Christmas decorations till Thanksgiving was over. And a lot of people feel that same way, like, you're not supposed to do that yet. Um, and so I, I find that we kind of had that same thought, and, and uh, we were, uh, you know, just getting past Thanksgiving, and I was like, okay, now you can play the Christmas music and put the trees up and the lights up. I'm okay with it, right? As though I have a choice in the matter, right? <clears throat> but it's a, a season, a season of just joy and celebration as we celebrate the birth of Christ. But I'm also just in that kind of gratitude mode. And I think it's something that needs to happen in all of our lives, not just one day out of the year on Thanksgiving. And the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. And so it should be a lifestyle for the believer is just to have this attitude of gratitude. And one of the things that I, I want to speak on just for a few moments this morning is the reliability of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, as I was considering what I'm grateful for, uh, I just kept coming back to the Word of God. And, and here's why. The Word of God is powerful. Um, it has impacted my life in a big way. I've dedicated 20 years of my life so far to teaching the Word of God and hopefully taking passages that are a little difficult and putting them in a way that everybody could grab a hold and understand. I've built my life on the foundation of God's Word. I have proven it to be a reliable foundation to build on. I've proven it to be a trustworthy document. If you want to know who God is and what He's like, I mean, I really put a lot of weight and a lot of respect in the Word of God. That's why you hear us say every week, open your Bibles. Because I don't want to spend time just sharing what I know. I don't have a lot of information, but I, I lean on the power that comes from God's Word because His Word is where all the power is at. Amen? And so as we consider today the Word of God, the reliability of the Word of God, I, I want to just kind of just walk through a few verses. We'll start in First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, but speaking on the reliability of the Bible and just, I think we get it. Because we're inside the church, and we were raised around the Bible, but I think sometimes we forget that there are people outside of the church. There are people that scoff at the Bible. There are people that say, ah, it's just a book full of fairy tales, or, you know, what good is it for me? And, and I just, I, I don't know how people can miss it <clears throat> once you really understand this is God's love letter to his people. Uh, to me, I'm very grateful for it. So hopefully we can look at a few of those things, and I'll give you a few things to consider as we talk about the reliability of the Word. And hopefully, um, just build your confidence in God's Word. Maybe build within you a desire to get to know it a little bit more or to maybe just grow your confidence a little bit more. And when he says, thus says the Lord, that it is, right? There's an old bumper sticker we used to see. It says, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You remember that one? I don't agree with it. The middle part anyways. But I do believe God said it and that settles it. Amen? Because he has spoken. His words are, are powerful and true and you can... Build your life on them. And so, 2 Peter chapter um, 1. Let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to just open it up. And Lord, I realize that we could spend days upon days and years upon years just digging and mining the truths that come from your word. We can take it for granted. Lord, we can act like it doesn't mean anything to us. 
But when we truly get down to the to just to the, the foundation of what it means and what it has for us, Lord, I, I just say thank you for loving us enough to give us your word, loving us enough to reveal yourself to us through your word. And so I pray that you would just open our eyes and put within us just this um, desire and appreciation and respect for uh, your word because it is uh, alive and it's active, it's powerful. I pray that you would just bless this time as we gather today in Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, this Bible that we hold in our hands, 66 books divided into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament, written by about 40 different authors over a period, get this, of 1,500 years. Now that in and of itself is kind of crazy, that in a 1,500-year span of time, 40 different authors are writing what we carry today as the Word of God. And what's even more amazing about it is there's unity. There's this thread that just makes sense from cover to cover. The story of God, God's love for humanity, our problem with sin, God's remedy for that sin problem, the gospel and how it's fulfilled in Jesus and how we can be made right with Him. It's beautiful, the Word of God and how it's put together, right? So over 50, now imagine if we today said we're going to start a book and we're going to start writing it today and it's going to take us 1,500 years to write it. It would be a train wreck, wouldn't it? So I just think it's significant that over that long of a period of time and that many different writers, human, not authors, but human writers or vessels that God used to put this together, um, that is pretty impressive and pretty amazing. So much so, check this out, Guinness World Record holders, they said that the Bible is the number one selling book of all time. It ain't even close. The Bible is the number one selling book of all time. 5.7 or 5 to 7 billion copies have been printed over approximately those 1,500 years or the last 1,500 years. That's according to the British and the Foreign Bible Society. Um, it has been translated into 736 languages, the complete Bible. In fact, I got a graphic up here. 736 translations of the complete Bible. The New Testament, there's like 1,658, and there's portions of Scripture, 1,200. The bottom line is like 3,658 languages this Bible has been translated into so, so, so they can know the story of God. That's like 7.23 billion, up to 97% of all of the people. This book is pretty special, isn't it? To be translated that many times and to be spread over the globe, I, I want us to understand just how important and how precious the Word of God is, that we should be grateful for that. Kings, farmers, fishermen, doctors, priests, government officials, and shepherds penned this book from prison, from fields. They didn't have the coffee sitting next to them, the light, you know, like we would with a Xerox copier, but they sit in candlelit rooms and sometimes in prison and dungeons and wrote this precious Word of God. God is the author of the book. But he used human agents to do that. And the beautiful thing is he let them have their own style. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have their own little, I guess, their feel of or their, their, their take on the Gospels. And so he gives them their style and their, their, their way of writing. Uh, but the message is clear throughout it. And there's unity from cover to cover in the Word of God. And so um, I just want us to know that it's a reliable document to build our life on. Now, some would say, hey, I, I, mean, I, I appreciate how much the Bible has an impact in your life. And I appreciate your passion for the word and how it does for you. But for me, I just I think it's I think there's a lot of fairy tales in there. I think there's a lot of things that are just written there, and, and I really go more off of a personal experience. And and I'm not going to minimize personal experience because some have met God in the most difficult seasons of their life, and God's revealed Himself to them in powerful ways. 
but I don't want to undermine or minimize the importance of the Word of God for us today, especially in the church. Are you with me so far? So Peter, the Apostle Peter, I love him, I love his story, but he had a, a mountaintop experience. He was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in that moment, he experienced something that not many people got to hear, the voice, the audible voice of God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so he speaks of that experience, but he also doesn't minimize the word, but instead of saying, hey, that was my experience. I mean, you have your word, I got my experience, but his experience only gave him greater confidence in the message that was already proclaimed by the prophets. Let, let me read it to you. It says, for we are not making up clever stories, verse 16, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be on the holy mountain to hear that voice from heaven? This is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. He says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. What is that? The word of God, as they knew it then. The, the prophets had recorded and written down what God had told them to say. And he says, this experience just re-undergirded the truth and my belief and our confidence in the message that was already proclaimed by the prophets. And he says that you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp. Shining in a dark place. How many know we live in a dark place today? And the Word of God is like a lamp in that dark place. It says, until the day dawns in Christ, the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And so... To the person who would say, you know, I don't see what the significance in the Bible. They may raise some questions, and those questions, I believe, are answered. And I see it in this text. We have illumination. That is when God makes things understandable. He lights it up so that we can understand. Revelation. Think about this for a moment. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who says, let there be light in Genesis 1. Wanted you and me to know him. And so he revealed his character, his nature, his will for us, and it was recorded in the scriptures. So we have this revelation where God says, I, I love my humanity, I just want them to know me. And so we have revelation, and then we have inspiration, and inspiration is the means by which God recorded the word. So God is the author, but he chose to use human agents that actually wrote it down. But make no mistake about it, this is, we believe, the word of God. Amen? So it answers questions to some of, I guess it answers the questions that some people have today. Is there a God? Is there a purpose for my life? Why is there so much evil in the world? Or is there life after death? All of these can be answered throughout its pages. And so as we look at the significance and the reliability of the Bible, I want us to consider just a few things. For me, that kind of build my confidence that I have placed my faith and my trust and built my life on a solid foundation of the Word of God. And let me tell, tell you this, I believe the Word of God is sufficient. What do we mean by that? I don't need any other documents to fill in the blanks where God might have not spoken. I believe everything I need to know about life is found within its pages. The Word of God is sufficient, right? So 
Consider for a moment the manuscripts. Manuscripts are written like they didn't have a Xerox copy or they had scribes. They would sit down and they would just meticulously copy every letter in the Hebrew or the Aramaic or the Greek, whatever they were doing at the time. And they would sit down and they would copy that over and over and over again. And we have these transcripts. We don't have the originals because they were written on like animal skins, things that would deteriorate. But they're like the New Testament alone, 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. You compare that with some other ancient writings that um, most of the world will, will, will consider and believe is Homer's Iliad had 643 copies. And Julius Caesar wrote one called the Gallic Wars. It has 10 copies and the earliest one is a thousand years after it was written compared to the 5,000 transcripts or the manuscripts that are out there for the scriptures that we uh, they, they give us our Bible today. And then something fascinating happened in 1947. Um, I remember, not that I was there in 1947, because I don't want you to think, he looks good for that old, but I remember reading it, and I was just amazed at the discovery of what they called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the story was like this. There were some boys that were playing around the, the Dead Sea, the north, I think, west area, and there were some caves, Quamarin, I think is how you say it. And uh, they were throwing rocks, and they heard something break. <clears throat> so they went to investigate it, and when they got there, they found these huge, like, clay pots, big ones. And they, they started looking into those, and they found a lot of documents in their paper, and, and they didn't know what it was. They're boys, and so they get it to the, the adults, and they go down and start inspecting it, and they discover that every Old Testament book, with the exception of Esther, was found, transcripts from those Dead Sea Scrolls that dated back to anything that they had had th thus far. They had all their transcripts, their manuscripts, and they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and said, wait a minute, these date back to even A.D. 50. Jesus died and ascended into heaven in like 33 A.D., somewhere in there. And then you have the, the apostles writing the word. And so this is like fresh documents. And what they discovered was when they started looking through the Dead Sea Scrolls against their scriptures, they found a very close unity in, throughout the whole thing. They found like 95% of it was accurate with the text that we have today as the word of God. That's pretty cool. The 5% that didn't match was like a slip of the pen or spelling. And we know spelling can change over the years. Just read like a really, really old translation. You're like, wow, they didn't have the word O in there. Spelling changes. And so 5% of those accounted for that. So 95% of it matched up with what they had. And so we had this confirmation that what we've had as manuscripts for years is validated through the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Jewish scholars performed unbelievable care in copying and preserving scripture. Listen to what Jesus said about that. Matthew 5, 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its fulfill, fulfillment is achieved, or until its purpose is achieved. He says again in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Does it sound like God is preserving his word for thousands of years? That's pretty cool, isn't it? We have the, the manuscripts. For me, that just shows us that the Bible is reliable. That's a proof to me. It may not work for you, but for me, it was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. But where my heart has been at all week is as we're looking at Christmas and we begin, open up Matthew chapter 1, it begins with this repetitive scene. You'll say, this took place to fulfill what the prophets said. This took place to fulfill the prophets' message in Isaiah. And over and over and over we see this thing called prophecy that is these predictive texts that are all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah, like 700 years before Jesus was even born, it would say, this is where Jesus will be born at. 
This is where he'll, he'll come from. I mean, all, all these different things, what his purpose in life was, how he would die by crucifixion, all of these prophecies. Someone said around 2,000 total prophecies, and there are like two categories. There's those that are already fulfilled and those that are unfulfilled. But in just Jesus' life alone, 300, approximately 300 prophecies fulfilled. And not just like vague, you could say that, but, but specific things about Jesus that are fulfilled in prophecy. That's a huge deal. I don't know if, if you could do this or not, but can you predict the future? I wish we could. In fact, this is my ADD, sorry, forgive me a second. I wish, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can look back and see things that you should have done or, you know, steps you should have made. I wish I could go back with the lottery numbers that won the big, big billions, right? Back to just a couple of weeks or a few weeks back and, and win the lottery. I wish I could go back and redo things in my life. I wish, because hindsight's always twenty we We're not good at predicting the future, are we? We want to know the future, and then people will, will, will hire psychics and seers, and they're like, hey, what's going to happen? What's happening? And I, and I was reading about one, I think her name was Jean or something, back in like the late 50s and 60s. She predicted a lot of things, and she was right a lot. I mean, she was just generally throwing stuff out there, and like, wow, she's good. So then she started predicting the, the presidential elections, and she predicted three of them in a row, like every four years, who the candidates would be and who would win in that party, who would be the president. And guess how many times she got it right? Zero. I think God wanted us to see just how hard it is to predict the future so that when we look at his predictions and the fulfillment of his predictions and say, wow, God is a true God. Amen? And so all of these prophecies are like predictive texts, and it counts for like 27% of the Bible. So a quarter, a little over a quarter of the Bible that we hold today has prophecies in it. Many of them like, this is the king that will be there then. This is what's going to happen to this city. These are the things that will take place. And a lot of them have already been fulfilled, and we can trust that because they were fulfilled, that he will fulfill the rest of his prophecies or promises. Amen? And so one of the guys that wrote a book is... Uh, Peter Stoner, called Science Speaks, and he calculated the mathematical probability of even eight of the prophecies of Jesus coming true. Just eight. Like, what is the mathematical probability that eight of the prophecies about Jesus would come true? And he said it was one in ten to the seventeenth power that just eight prophecies about Jesus would come true. One in the Ten to seventeenth power. Now, if you, if you have a hard time like I do with how big that is, consider this: million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion is like one to the ten to the eighteenth power. And he's saying for eight prophecies about Jesus to come true, one in ten to the seventeenth power. He went on to say, take ten and seventeenth power worth of silver dollars and put it on the state of Texas. It would cover like two feet deep. Just silver dollars all over the state of Texas. Now take one coin out of all of those coins and mark it. And put it back down there and just mix it all up. He says, then you take a guy who's blindfolded, right? And you tell him he can go any direction he wants to, but he must pick up the one coin that is marked. What kind of a chance do you think that gentleman will have to pick up the right coin? About the same chance that the prophets had at predicting eight of the prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled with 100% accuracy. That's no, that's no small thing, right? And Jesus didn't just fill eight of them. He filled 300 specific prophecies, not vague prophecies, but 300 specific prophecies about 
Jesus. And, and so for me, when I look at the reliability of Scripture, I look at prophecy and say, God's got a pretty good track record, amen? He's, thus saith the Lord, or I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken, he says. This will happen. You can take it to the bank. God said it. That settles it, right? And so because of his faithfulness to complete all of the things that he's promised in the past, I can have this assurance that the things that have not yet been fulfilled in prophecy will be fulfilled with a 100% completion. No doubt. In my life, I've staked my life on it. I believe that. And so what we need to understand is that the predictions in Scripture or these prophecies are also promises of God. God says, I will do this. This will happen. It's a, it's a promise. And I don't know about you, but I believe God gave us these many predictions in order that we would learn to trust his promises. I think he gave them to us so we can look at his track record and say, wow, God called that 700 years before, I mean, the guy that prophesied it's already dead, and this is 700 years later, and now Jesus comes up, and in this Isaiah 53, one passage, there's a handful of prophecies fulfilled in just that one Isaiah passage. I think God's doing that. It's like, hey, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do we trust him? Here's what I think prophecy does for us. It proves that God is the true God. Consider Isaiah for a moment. Isaiah, you almost kind of see this taunting from God, the true God, to all these false gods. He says this in chapter 41, 21. He says, present the case for your idols, says the Lord. Let them show what they can do, says the king of Israel. Let them try to tell us what happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence. Or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days of head. Then we will know you are gods. In fact, do anything, good or bad, do something that will amaze and frighten us. In 42, verse 9, he says, Everything I prophesied has come true, and now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. Chapter 46 of Isaiah, he says, Only I, God speaking, can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. God's sovereign. And you know what? He is able to see things from a bigger perspective, an eternal perspective. We see things from a limited perspective. We, we just you know, had Thanksgiving. And how many know that there's a big Thanksgiving Day parade that they have, right? And the parade will have like several floats, I mean, maybe a mile long. And from the perspective of the ground, we may see the one that just passed, maybe two. And we see the one right in front of us and maybe the ones that are coming up. But we don't see the whole picture. God is outside of time and space, and so he is the first and the last. He sees the beginning and the end all in one picture. And so God can say, hey, I can tell you what it was, and I can tell you what it's going to be. I see it from my eternal perspective. He is omniscient that way. He knows all things. He knows what the future. We don't know what the future holds, but my hands, or my, my hope and my trust is in the hands of one who does. Amen? That he knows the future. And so to me, it proves that God is the one true God. He said it, it happened, and to me, nobody else has that track record. In fact, I was reading about Hinduism. There are no prophecies in the Hindu religious books. Um, I was told in the Quran that there's only like one prophecy, and it was a self-fulfilled prophecy where Muhammad said that he would return to Mecca. And so he says, I will return to Mecca, and he did. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Compare that and contrast it to Jesus saying the Son of Man will be betrayed. He will be buried on the third day. He'll be raised to life again, something no human being can do. Amen? And so the Word of God is filled with all of these prophecies, and these prophecies prove to me that God is the true God. Here's something else it does for me. Prophecy proves that the Bible is God's Word. 
You know, it's not just a, a book. It's not just something that we read, and, you know, I need some encouragement or whatever. I mean, to me, it's like God's word. God breathed. He inspired this. And he says, hey, I love my creation so much. I want them to know me. I want them to know about me. And I want to know how to live this life on earth. And so God's word is recorded for us. And prophecy, to me, just proves over and over and over again that truth, that it's reliable. This is God's word. Do you believe this is God's word this morning? Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to go to church. And you never see this. And I've seen some. I've heard of some. And I don't want to be that way. I want to always rely on God's word because it's his word that will not return into him void. It will go out and accomplish what he sent it to do. Right? It's the one that's sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm not smart enough to speak in a way that's like, ooh. But God's word is powerful. It changes lives. Amen? And so for me, prophecy proves that the Bible is God's word. Over and over, thus says the Lord. He is speaking. Hebrews says in many times, in many ways, he spoke to the prophets, and now he's spoken to us through his son. Can I tell you, he's still speaking? He's speaking to us through his word? The Bible is God's word. Here's something else. Prophecy comforts us in our grief. One of them that we use often in, uh, in times of grief and funerals is the First Thessalonians passage, chapter 4, is we grieve, and one of the hardest things that we go through in life is the loss of a loved one, but we have this hope based on a promise, a prophecy that is not yet fulfilled that one day Christ is going to return. And you know what it says? When Christ returns, he'll bring back with him all of those that have fallen asleep in him. And then one day, we're going to be caught up together with them, we'll see them again, and we will be with the Lord forever. That brings us comfort. That's prophecy. It's not yet fulfilled. I'm looking forward to the day that it is. Amen. So it comforts us in our grief. It strengthens us in our adversity. You read about the first century Christians and all that they went through, and they were just over and over just beaten for their faith. Many of them lost their life, a martyr's death. And yet they found comfort in the scriptures in Revelation. They would read it, and they would say that these, tri- these trials and this pain and this adversity is temporary, but it can't compare to what God has for us in eternity. And so it strengthens us. As we go through adversity, here's a newsflash for you. We go through adversity. And when we see this stuff going on around us, we could easily get discouraged and like, man, it seems like Satan's getting the upper hand. But church, can I just remind you, I read the back of the book, and the last chapter says we win. And so it gives me strength and should give us strength as we face adversity in our own lives. And it also prophecy proves uh, that God will triumph over, over evil. Revelation chapter 21 says that there's no more sickness, no more death. Evil will be far gone from us. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that fulfillment of that promise, prophecy of God. And so if you're following along, you've got the manuscripts. For me, that just kind of, wow, the sheer number of those and the perfection of how they've been copied over the years. You have all the prophecies fulfilled to 100% accuracy and those that have yet to be fulfilled, but based on God's faithfulness then, I can have confidence that he's going to do it in the future. And then you got the testimony of the ones that wrote it, specifically speaking of the apostles. 11 of the 12 disciples slash apostles were martyred for their faith. Why? Because they were not willing to recant on their testimony that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. All they had to do was say, no, 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 we made it up. No, it's not true. And they probably would have lived, but they came out with such an, a confidence and said, I can't not speak of what I saw. We were with Jesus. We saw him arrested. We saw him crucified. We saw him dead. We helped bury him, but three days later, we were talking to the same Jesus. Thomas touched him. 
And you can tell us to shut up all you want, but we can't shut up about what we've seen and what we have heard. Their testimony, they signed it with their own blood. And to me, that is just a beautiful proof of the reliability of Scripture. They knew what they saw and they personally experienced. And they're saying, hey, listen, I'm willing to die for what I saw and what I believe, to tell others. Aren't you grateful that they recorded what they saw for us? So you have the testimony of those who signed their lives in blood, their testimony there. And then I think we have to look at our own, the impact that the Word of God has had over the years. Who can count? One day we get to heaven and we'll see the many, many lives they were changed by the gospel. I don't think we can completely comprehend and understand just the impact that this has had over thousands of years, right? I can speak to my own life. I can speak to the times whenever I would read the word, and I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. And then the time when God allowed me to hear a preacher that put it in a way where it just started clicking, and I couldn't, I couldn't read it fast enough, and I was marking my Bible. I still hold on to that Bible because it was special to me. Because God was real in that moment to me through his word because I finally understood it had a huge impact in my life. And then I, when I, people ask me questions, you better believe that I'm always going back to where, what does the word say? What does God say about this? Pastor, what should I do here? Here's what I'm going through. What should I do? I'm always going to run it through the grid of God's word first. Right? Like God has something to say. And I want to start there. And I want to always default to the word of God. It's made an impact on my life. Chances are it's made an impact on your life as well. And it may not have been from you reading it specifically, but you hearing a message preached from the Word. God's Word's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's active. It's alive. Amen? It changes lives, and it can change your life as well. And so what do we do with such a beautiful book? What do we do with such a reliable book? I mean, this is trustworthy. God's Word given to us. I think we need to read it. Now, the beginning of the year, I gave a challenge to read through the Bible in a year. I hope you're still with us on that, but... You know, we just started Daniel, where, where I'm at in the reading. And it's been nice, but over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, I see these words. Thus says the Lord of the, har- the armies of Israel, of heaven's armies, right? Over and over and over, he's declaring his truth. He's declaring his promises. And so I said, we need to read it. We need to ask God for understanding. Because sometimes we read it and we're like, God, I don't understand this. But the Holy Spirit's the one that brings illumination. Holy Spirit, I want to learn it. I want to understand it. Would you help me to understand it? And I'm thankful that God has given us some very brilliant minds, theologians that help us walk through some of the scriptures and kind of make the difficult easy to understand. Aren't you? But I believe the word of God is sufficient. I don't need anything else for life. I can build my whole life on this, but I need to get in it. I need to read it. I need to understand it. Now, some people would approach the Word and say, it's just so difficult to wrap my mind around. There's so many things going on. How do I know when and how and who and what? To that, I want to say I've got a resource that I would love for you to read. read it several years ago, and it was very helpful at just getting a big-picture view of the Bible so that when you jump into the Bible, it kind of like, okay, this is during this era or this time period. It helped just make sense of a lot of the stuff. Geography, main people, all of that. And there's one book called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible in 15 minutes a day. You got 15 minutes? This book will rock you. It's good. We've taken our family through it. I've been through it a couple times. Home groups have gone through it. But a great resource. Max Anders is a great teacher. Repetitive. But it kind of just helps you get into you all just the overview of the Bible. And I would say if there is a resource out there to help you understand and get a grasp on the Word of God, get it. Give it a shot. Try it. There's others out there. Probably some really good ones. But this is one I can personally speak to. And I would say get it. Read it. Try to wrap your mind around it. Understand. Ask Him for understanding And then most important of all, most important of all, it doesn't matter how much of this you know. 
I got a few minutes. Let me tell you a funny story. It was brought to my mind the other day. I had a Ford pickup one time that didn't have an emergency brake. Some of you know the story. And so I was, we built a trailer, and I was about to go to the car wash to wash off this trailer. And so I pulled up to the house, which I lived over here in the parsonage, and there was no asphalt. It was all dirt, caliche. And I pulled up there, and there's no emergency brake. And so I slipped it into neutral. I pushed the brake, and I wait a minute. We're good. Hopped out, run into the garage to grab some degreaser, and I hear tires rolling. Who's here? Turn around. Nobody's here. My truck's gone. It's headed out. It's going north. And if you know where north is, it's down the canyon. And so I look, and I'm coming out of the garage just running as fast as I can, and the trailer is now going over the hill, and it's headed towards the pool house. If you didn't know that, there's a concrete building there, a brick building. The pool house, the youth kind of meet down there, and my truck's headed straight for it. How am I going to explain this to the elders? I'm totally fired after this, right? The truck turns as though someone was in it and bypasses it and starts heading to the big tree that's down there by the barn. I'm like, oh, it's going to total out that truck and the tree. It turns again and goes over a hump into the very back corner of the property, and it comes to some trees, and it comes to a stop just about two feet before it would go into the creek. I'm running after it the whole time. What am I going to do when I catch it? I don't know, but I'm running. Rachel's trying to call me. I finally get there. The truck's running. Air conditioner's going. The music's still going. And I get in the truck, and she's like, why didn't you answer the phone? I was a little busy. <laughs> running. So I came into the pulpit the next week with a Ford operation manual. I would highlighted all the places in there where it says, always be sure to set the emergency brake. Failure to do so could cause harm or injury. You think? And so over and over, I'm doing this, and the church is laughing because the story's fresh. They're like, that's hilarious. I'm like, yeah, it's not funny for me, but... Here's the thing, I knew that my whole life, but I didn't apply it. And it, it proved to be a pretty good, uh, I guess, reminder to all of us, the same thing is true with Scripture. It doesn't matter how much you know if you don't apply what you do know. Does that make sense? So unapplied truth is like unapplied pain. It doesn't do anybody any good. And so it doesn't matter what we know, but it's what we do with what we know that matters. And, and Jesus tells us a parable about the wise and the foolish builder, solid foundation. We need to apply what we do know. Here's the bottom line. God has spoken. God is speaking. He loves you enough that he don't want to leave you in the dark. He's like, I want to reveal myself to you. The God who created it all said, I want you to know me. I want you to know me, my character. I want you to see your plight without me, but I want you to see the good news that I've made a way for you to be made right with me. This is a precious book to me, and hopefully it is to you as well. And so as we read it and we allow God to reveal himself to us, we apply the truths within its pages. It's like building our lives on a solid, reliable foundation that's unshakable. So talking about gratitude, yeah, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. I was told before, I told somebody before, if I ever go to prison, I don't know why I would do it, but if I ever do, maybe for preaching the word of God, that could happen. Just give me my Bible. Just give me a Bible, because that's what I want to do. I just want to spend my, because now I'm a captive audience, right? I want to read it. I want to get into it. It changed my life. It could change yours as well. I'm grateful for this book. Question is, are you? Are you? Let us not take it for granted. You know that right now this has been outlawed. It's been burned. It's been banned. It's been scoffed at, but still it sits at the number one selling book of all times. That's pretty powerful. You can build your life on it. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I hope that we don't take it for granted. When you spoke, 
Lord, it, it carried a lot of weight in creation. And I believe that your speaking to us through your word also carries a lot of weight in our lives. And it changes us. And so, Lord, my heart as a pastor is to just be obedient to teaching this. In season, out of season, when it's popular, when it's not. But to stay faithful to the teaching of your word. Because your word is where the power is at. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the prophecies, which are like the predictions, which are also promises. That we can build our lives on these promises. Knowing that the one that we're placing our hope and trust in is trustworthy and reliable. I thank you so much today for your word. I pray that you would just give us a hunger for more of it. I pray that you would give us understanding. Lord, we maybe approach text that we didn't understand before that the next time we read it, you just open it up and let us see it. God, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to us. And more importantly, God, I pray that you would give us obedient hearts, Lord, to trust you more. Lord, to take what you reveal to us, to put it into practice so that our lives will continue to be changed, built on that solid foundation of your word. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, I want to do something a little different. Uh, this morning I was in my office and I grabbed the old hymn book. You know what that is, right? We used to use these all the time. I want to read the lyrics to this song, but when we get to the chorus, I want you to join me singing it in a minute. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God.